Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. We're recording on a Sunday night between games one and two of the Hawks Celtics series. Uh, Glenn, can we do like a GoFundMe or something to to get you off Twitter and somewhere safe? Are, are you tired of Celtics fans yet? Uh, no, I mean, no, I mean, them. Like, if you, my whole experience with Celtics fans is mixed. I think, like with any fan base, there's there's good and bad in every single fan base. But they they were a handful of the day that were a little on the absurd side of things. But that stuff doesn't really bother me. That's way too rational of an answer. You're supposed to be angry. These people are trying. I, to I oh, I refuse to allow strangers to evoke negative emotions. And that's you know, when I was like 25, I probably wouldn't have been this kind of you know balanced and everything. But they're people. I mean, you know, they're they're people. They could be like a 19 year old kid who really you know lo- loves the, the Celtics and kind of that's that's you know. When, you know, so you you never know who's on the other end of that tweet. So I, you know, sometimes I'll push back with a little bit of humor or, or whatever. But uh, I try to just remember that that's the person on the other side for the most part. If they now someone makes themselves obviously to be someone who's really trying to, I don't know, say something hurtful or say something just you know that's completely illogical or whatever. Then I'm gonna, you know, sometimes I might say something, you know, but uh. Yeah, who knows who's on the other side of that? So I, it's not going to bother me, you know. I mean, sometimes like if there was where if this were the like conference finals, you see some fan bases the where a subset will like start like doxing people who are like making certain statements about their teams or their players <laughs> or whatever. I don't think I have that kind of profile, and I, so I think I'm I think I'm safe from that. But you you've seen that's happened before. I don't, you know. So it's, it's, what happened today was pretty harmless, you know. So okay. Thanks for well, checking on me, what are your major takeaways from from game one, and what would you like to see in game two if you could give it a, a summary from the get go? Yeah, so I mean, the, I think the thing that the thing that was most disappointing for me is that when I contrast like the Miami game, it looked like the Hawks had a plan they felt super confident in from the very beginning of that game, and they were on that plan, they were executing it when the heat kind of tried to take them off that plane and challenge them, they would find their way back to it. And this game now, now the Celtics are on a completely different level. So you have to account for that context, but the Hawks looked lost in the first half to me, you know, what, what's the plan on defense? You know, how are we, um, you know, covering shooters? How are we covering covers? How are we um, accounting for the fact that Clint's, in the in in the one of the corners, you know, and not in his traditional spot where he can make an impact helping, you know, in the paint or at the rim. And they they made some nice adjustments going in the second half. And that's why they had, you know, on the scoreboard, you know, a much, much more positive second half. But it was, you know, I, you know, I mean when you and I did a preview, I, I said I really didn't have any expectations for game one. So I, I don't really want to I don't want to go back on that statement and act like I had these expectations, but, you know, they had some time and space to kind of plan for this. Uh, They looked, they looked lost in the first half. So it looks like the coaching staff and the team found some things to to help them a lot. The second half part was just playing better. Part of it was being more um, cohesive as, as a, you know, as a unit on the floor. 
and those sorts of things. But uh, and Celtics are really good. So there's a lot to deal with or they throw a lot at you. Um, and, you know, I think you and I, when you and I talked it, like we'd say we wouldn't be surprised if game one was a kind of a feeling out kind of game for the Hawks. And it took a whole half for them to really find any footing at all. Let's talk about the the Celtics playing five out offense. Okay. The Hawks shouldn't have been surprised by that. No, I mean, were, were there any wrinkles there that you, when you look at what they were doing offensively, should have been anything that was sort of unexpected? And I guess the second part would be, did they change anything defending that kind of setup in the second half? Um. So they they did, and this, so first of all, no. The Celtics didn't run anything that they don't run all the time, in my view, right? They ran their stuff. Yep. They're super confident in their stuff. They're very competent with their stuff. They executed a super high level. Um, and a lot of their stuff is kind of read-based. You know, a lot of their stuff where the screener becomes the shooter, the, the screener can move in one direction or the other. There's a lot of there's a lot of that, and they're just impressively um, just on point with all their execution. The thing that helps the Hawks helped us Hawks in the second half was they committed much more to switching, including Clint. It helped Clint get in the middle of the floor a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I thought Clint did. I thought I thought Clint did uh, pretty well. Um, you know, impacting ball handlers for the most part. You and I talked about in the preview podcast that the Celtics don't don't have the most elite guys in terms of dribbling by you. You know, the, the, I mean, Tatum is capable. He's got good craft. Brown's an athletic guy with some you know, with some downhill speed. Um, but, you know, White and Brogdon and et cetera aren't guys that are going to, you know, blow, blow past you. Uh, so they, um, I mean, first of all, in the second half, they got, they picked up their, the defenders picked up their man higher on the floor, didn't let the Celtic, didn't let the Celtics walk into all, all their actions. In the first half, they were all like below the three-point line, like by two full steps. And the Celtics were just like, comfortably getting into every single thing they ran it's really hard first of all teams generally don't play that way in the playoffs and number two it's really hard to impact um the second um you know part of an action the third part of an action if you don't have any impact on the first action that gets you into into that so so they picked them up higher they're up higher on the floor they were more engaged uh with their men and then they were just switching a lot more and i thought the Kongu um, was a struggle with that a little more than Clint did. Of course, Clint's played, a, you know, compared to a Kongu, a million playoff games, you know, really high leverage playoff games and things like that. So that's that's okay, and that's not surprising. But just um, just more energy, more intensity. Um, it looked like they, they, in the second half, it looked like a team that was challenged to just, like, just trust our plan, you know, and go play hard, you know. Um, JC was the only guy really in the first half that I thought really got after it on defense consistently. And that showed up in the second half as well, but just, um, first half, I thought they were mostly going through the motions in the second half. They kind of got into the Celtics. And if you go, if you look at the shot distribution, the Celtics had the second half as compared to the first half, big difference, six for 13 at the rim in the second half you know, a lot more shots at the rim, like t- more than twice as many shots in the rim in the first half, um, as an example. And so they just didn't, they just were, they fought harder. 
And and then they kind of bought into their plan war with the adjustment being that there were there was a lot more switching, which I thought helped Clint by you know Clint not just standing in the corner all the time. You know, there's a play in the first half where uh, Clint helped from the corner on somebody that cut to the basket, and then he cleared back out to Horford in the corner. Yeah, and, and, and you know I put that one on Twitter today, and I was like, Oh, did you? That's that's not like. That's not what this team does. That's not right. how they use Clint, you know. So, um, but the second half, like there were examples of JC organizing, kicking Dejounte out, JC becoming low man, JC getting to the paint, having an impact on a driver. Hunter did that twice as well, where he was shuffling Dejounte once, and then I, I think Bogey out a different time, and showing up and helping in the paint. So they were they were getting the right defenders to the right responsibilities and working within the flow of a possession to get the guys to where they can be more successful as opposed to just kind of matching up, uh, trying to chase over screens, five out draws, everybody way out the perimeter. There's no help behind you. In the second half, they got guys in position to, to the positions where they could do their best work individually and help their team. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the Celtics may be, adjust from what they saw from the Hawks in the second half. It'll be interesting if the Hawks come out with, you know, heavy switching from the first, you know, possession in game two. Um, but I thought the effort in game game in the second half was one that would help them win. Now there's always a question like, did Boston get into third gear for any of that? Or was it just or were the Hawks legitimately just outplaying them in the second half? Hard right. to know. That's fair. Personnel-wise, what do you want from the Hawks in terms of guarding Jason Tatum? We, we we disagree a little bit about what went wrong in the first half. Not disagreed, because I don't think you would say that either one of them had a, a good first half in any way. But you, you said that, you know, Trey didn't have a plan for the first half. And to me, I just thought that, you know, Hunter just didn't have enough resistance for for Tatum in the first half. Uh, you know, he was getting to spots. Like there were plays where there would be like a little screen action and Hunter would be through it and get all set up again and then just still just lose him. It just felt like he wasn't providing any resistance to the rim. And, and I know that Trey had a disastrous half too, but... Uh, I just felt like if they had did, gotten did some... I sing, what's did, that? Did I sing a lot? Did I sing a lot, Trey? I, I didn't intend to sing a lot, Trey. I, the Hawks had no plan as a team. In oh, the first half. Yeah. I I thought you said something. Maybe it was. Maybe I'm using a quote from from Slack and not the podcast. Oh, I think I, I think I, I I'm using text. My I'm, I'm a visual person, so what I read sticks better than what I hear. Oh yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I, that, yeah. That, 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 that's where I thought we disagreed. Uh, well, was I, so slack. for me, my issue with Trey in the first quarter, watching in real time, first quarter mainly was his offensive plan. I thought he was forcing it. I thought he was trying to do too much. Um, it's funny because when I when I rewatched it, his three pointers were a lot better shot quality than I thought. Yeah, they were. Time. He was he was using a screen. Horford was in a drop, and it was like. It didn't look good, and it felt like maybe not the right shot for the right time. But right. like, if you just kind of talk about it theoretically, do you want 
Trey taking threes when he's open against drop coverage because the center's not there and the guard is screened. Like those, those are pretty good shots. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, the the context is, did he have a rhythm? Exactly, right? and that's why but I felt he, like Hunter was a slightly bigger part. I just felt like if they had had any defensive resistance so that they could get a couple of transition opportunities so that they could feel good about seeing the ball go through the net, then it's just a different game. Yeah, Hunter Hunter was the worst player in the first half by a huge margin. I mean, I I don't know what was going on defensively if he was just trying to, I don't know, avoid fouls or what, but I mean... I mean, it could be a lot of things, right? It wasn't, like he, I mean, he he bumped knees. He was coming back from injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he but, had but, those uh, phantom I, fouls called on him that just sap your aggressiveness. God, those were yeah, awful. Yeah, I know. Um, but but he, I mean, but there were like a handful of plays where you can't really make an excuse for him. You know, guys just went right past him. He wasn't moving yeah. his feet. He wasn't in position. He 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 was kind of in a stance. You know. So, but I mean, but in the what makes me feel like. I don't really want to find the reason to kind of give him a pass. Is in the second half, he was a whole lot better. I mean, on defense, he was almost yeah. to JC standards on, on defense. Right. He he did he did great, you know, in the second in the second half. And I know people could agree. People on Twitter are like ready for Hunter to be off this team, and I just like I'm like I'm sick of telling you guys that, uh, you know, where Hunter's value comes from on this team and what he brings that no one else as a only player can even remotely bring you. So I'm kind of exhausted of those conversations, but when it came to fixing the defense, he and JC did a ton of work in the second half. Now JC was the, the one positive on defense in the first half. He just continued doing his work, but Hunter really picked it up, you know, was fighting, was physical fighting through screens. And that was the other part is in the first half, they had no physicality about them at all. Like I said, it started with them being like three steps dropped off the, their mana, getting a very Celtic possession. Right. And the second half, they got up and they fought through screens and they pushed. You know, they were a little bit more physical with Horford, kind of with that walking screen that he, you know, is excellent at deploying. Um, and they just fought back and pushed back. And I mean, in a series like this, a certain amount of this is going to come down to: Are, are you fighting? You know, are you? fighting back are you pushing back are you matching the physicality are you willing to kind of mix it up uh to a degree i think they got to like in the second half like a b plus in that area but they still got to do better than that i think to make some kind of noise uh in this series but uh but you start with the matchups trey on smart i think went well in the second half Mm -hmm. um i thought trey fought uh and kind of you know had the best impact he can on him I think Hunter has to take Tatum, you know. Absolutely, I think JC can deal with Jalen Brown uh, reasonably. I think if there's the right kind of help available, right? Um, uh, But but like JC was the one guy who was like constantly getting in a stance and closing out, like getting a stance, sitting down, and then closing out and stuff. So it's like, like when you think about it, it's like JC is not the guy, the player you would kind of ideally pick to put on a guy like Jalen Brown, but for what they have, I think that's kind of, you know, where they can go when, and so that, so Trey on smart, Hunter on Tatum, JC on Brown, Clint on, um, you know, Horford. And then that leaves white, you know, they leaves the John on white and whites. I mean, white was awesome in this game. He, he made, you know, all of his shots. He was just, you know, what, probably the best offensive game he's going to have in this series. 
Right. Um, but the, but DeJounte, you know, not his on ball is not his, his strength defensively, but he should be able to deal with that. And that's what I would start with. You know, when you get Bogey and Bay on, if you're not already switching, I think you got to get into your switching then. Like, you know, Bogey and Bay have really no chance to just kind of in space keep those guys in front. Right. Um, and, and then, and then you've got to help a Kongwu. So that, you know, I know you've, you have said, and many others have said on Twitter that you'd like to see, the Clint and Anyeka minutes matched to Anyeka on Warford more so, not one, not completely. Some on Twitter are saying you had to start Anyeka. Anyeka was not good in game one. Clint was better than Anyeka in game one. Yeah. Um, but, but there is no, was, it, was, my, my problem with Clint wasn't like, hey, Clint, do it better. It's like, I just felt like the tactics just negate, you know, took him out of his rhythm. Took him, took him in the to the wrong space. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I uh, I wonder, like, if heavy switching against the Celtics, excellent offense, is that going to lead to Anyaka really getting into foul situations? You know, Clint right. can defend the that kind of the that dribble penetration with, without fouling as much. And so, the thing for me is that I think if Quinn wants to swing more Yaka minutes towards Horford and more Clint minutes to Robert Williams, I think that's absolutely fine. But to me, it's like the 18th or 19th adjustment I'd be trying to make that scheme executions, you know, sound execution, more connectivity, more communication, more recognizing when a player is in the bad spot, a teammate helping that player out of the bad spot, getting them better aligned to be able to kind of hold up from a de- uh, help defense standpoint. The fundamental, I mean, it's kind of funny, like, like this is what Nate would be all over, right? Is these fundamental basic things that were completely absent in the first half. And my, so in my mind, just my view, doesn't mean I'm right. If 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 you can get all that fixed, and if it's additionally helpful to redirect the Clint Yakuman, it's great. You know, I see the logic in it. I think there's I think there's merit in it and the idea. But I just think it's I just think that if there's are people who think that's like a primary solution, I complete I disagree with that. So that that's just kind of where I'm I stand on it. Okay. Is is it possible for Clint to guard someone like Marcus Smart? I don't know how you'd have to shuffle. Uh, it probably wouldn't be great. Never mind. I scratch that. I got further down the permutation and it got uglier. I take it back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, for one thing, Smart is just going to really mix it up with him, and you know, so I, I mean, Smart's going to mix it up with whoever he's. You tangle up with, but you know, um, I, and I don't want to sound like I'm just negative on Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart is a winning basketball. Player no, he also. threw some. You know, he had some great passes. That's just the grift and, is tiresome. Like you, yeah, I don't the, know. it's it is. It's like I appreciate so much about his game, and there's this area of his game where I just I I struggle to have any to enjoy it at all to appreciate it at all. Like in the, in the last few minutes of the game when the Hawks were kind of maybe about to cut it down to like eight. You know, he made two like absolutely mo- like monster defensive plays, and he I mean he, he he was the single-handed defender who put that game away. You know, if the Hawks had any idea of kind of trying to get it down to maybe eight six, you know, with two and a half to go or whatever it was, he made two absolutely monster plays. You know, in that final stretch, which is he's which he which he does. You know, that's why he's held in such high regard as a defender. Um. But the rest of the stuff, you know, it's you know, I was watching 
Al Lowry today was, you know, was watching, you know, him yesterday. Uh, I didn't catch a, a ton of Suns uh, Clippers because I was working out uh, when that game was going on almost the whole game. And I, I had it on in the room, but I was, it's hard to, you know, to really follow like I, I do and stuff like that. But, um, but, but yeah, so, I mean, for me, like on defense, it's just like more of we got in the second half, you know, and it's just the basic stuff. Maybe some tweaks on the way they deal with screens, um, you know, up high, especially up high in the middle of the floor, um, and and just just so just kind of pick up where you left off, I think, and yeah, but bring it from you know the very very beginning of the game. On offense, my biggest issue, and I thought Trey, you know, was I didn't understand what Trey's plan was, you know, early on was just that they weren't really working for shots in the paint. And to me, like the formula is the, I've said this, the the point differential advantage the Celtics get at the three-point line, the Hawks have to counter that with points in the paint. And they, in the second half, they won points in the paint. They won points on turnovers. They won points in transition, you know, it, which was a, a testament to them fighting on defense and letting that being kind of the, the foundation of all the positive stuff that they did in the second half. Um, so, you know, um, it, it's tough, but I mean, I think we saw like what kind of the blueprint is in the second half. Now, that doesn't mean that the Celtics can't play better than they did in the second half. They can, um, but I still think the Hawks can generate some competitive games here. Yeah, I'm with you on you know the fact that the switching helped in the second half. It, it's kind of weird because when you look at what, what I think they were trying to do against White. You know, I, th- I think the normally when you talk about like a moving screen in the NBA, what you're talking about is you're trying to chase over with the shooter and somebody like Bam is trying to, you know, you when you talk about a moving screen, there's like that extra leg. They kind of wiggle out this, you know, they're trying to get their knee and kind of hook that defender so that the shooter can get free over the top as the person chasing over the screen gets stuck. And what was sort of frustrating I imagine for the Hawks sideline is that it felt like with Derek White, when he would be in an action with Horford, mostly maybe Robert Williams a couple times, Trey or whoever else was defending White, they were trying to get under the screen and Horford was moving under to keep them from going under the screen. And I guess, you know, if you're playing under, he's going to be able to shoot anyways. And he was having a good game from three and he made shots. But it, it does feel like, you know, they have to do more just because Horford's coming coming in and keeping them from going under on him. Because it should be, a, you know, an easy path when you play under somebody. But they seem like they just couldn't do it. Horford was coming down. And I think, you know, there's lots of people that move their screens in the NBA but I think the thing that what Horford does that that makes it uniquely frustrating is that he plays with his arms a lot. Like he's just, yep. he's kind of, you know, he's kind of giving you the forearm. He's kind of putting his arms out and they just kept dying on that action. Uh, you know, trying to get under a screen all of a sudden they're just stuck. And not only can the person who's back behind it, take a shot, but they they usually had a pretty good driving angle on those too. If they, if, you know, I think a couple of times it ended up just being like a complete seal and then they could drive from it. So it's just. Well, they also I, force the switches. I mean, like Horford will. Yeah. You know, when Trey's trying to show and clear, he'll kind of screen Trey right into the ball handler. 
and then turn and take the guy that they're trying to keep on the ball handler out of the play. You know, it is it is his his technique and screens is atypical and it's I mean, according to like the way the rules are written, is illegal, right? Like the classic way is like you're upright, you have your arms in the frame of your body, and you don't and you're still right. Horford kind of gets his feet like shoulder width apart, sits down a little bit, like almost like a defensive stance, and gets his his arms up kind of like an offensive lineman, you know, pass blocking in, in football and, and can, will turn and kind of move, you know, with the, the, the thing that he does so well is he kind of mirrors the defender. And, and so it makes it look like they're both kind of moving into each other. And, right. But to me, it's like, you know, I, and I put a note out. You kind of make it a, look a little bit like a role, but really it's, it's not it's a role. Even, it's just a, it's not, a <laughs> and they're they're not going to. I mean, they're not going to. Yeah, I, mean, I think we know they're not going to just call that. But like, there was a, a a play in the Milwaukee Miami game where Bam was setting a screen of Chris Middleton, and Chris Middleton just absolutely blew Bam up. Right? It wasn't a dirty play. It wasn't trying to hurt him, but he put Bam on the floor. He, I mean, you and I both know Bam like is pretty creative with his screens too. You brought him up as an example a few minutes ago. The Hawks are going to have to get physical with, with Al. Like if yeah. Al is moving into them, they're going to have to like get a hand up into his chest and push him and shove him. You get a foul call. Like Chris was like, "I'll I'll take the foul call. I'll put Bam on the floor." Like, hey Al, if you're going to like continue to kind of mirror us and kind of move into our defensive space, you're gonna we're gonna we're gonna hit you. But you not know? Hunter. Hunter can't do that. You need to save his fouls. <laughs> <laughs> That's true because he has like no room for error at all. It's two you games know, in a row. He's been in foul trouble, so you're gonna have to have somebody else do it. Maybe that's a good one for you know Bogey. Bogey's a veteran. He you know he's playing in Europe. I mean he knows. Yeah. Bogey knows how to do stuff like that. You know, um, you know I, I'm okay. If, you know if JC kind of kind of takes that on as well. JC does not really in that spot very much with you know with Horford and stuff like that. So you know. You know, Dejounte's probably not big enough to, you know. I mean, you know, Bay's probably a great choice too. Like Bay just go mm-hmm. in here and like absolutely put Horford on the floor one time, and and I mean, I want to be clear. I love. I I know a lot of Hawks fans have different feelings now, but I love Al Horford. I think yep. he's an amazing. He's a great player. player. He, he helps his team in a million ways. You know, and I and even when I, I when I uh, kind of put the tweet out about you know out today where I put a video of him kind of walking his screen down. I put like, in the tweet that said, now we have to be honest and say none of us minded him doing this when it was for Atlanta, <laughs> you know, because he absolutely yeah. did this when he was with the Hawks, you know, and none of us, you know, had an issue with it then. But from a standpoint of the Hawks needing to be competitive in this series, they have to do something about that because that was creating so, you know, the, again, the Celtics don't have these like first step, you know, bursty first step athletes. So it comes down to their craft to create these angles, these, these driving space and things like that. And the Hawks are going to have to kind of figure out a way to send a message to Al that like, you know, we're not going to tolerate this, you know, again, against ahead of the Miami game, we talked about the Hawks having to be physical. It's not really in their nature to play that way. You know, um, they're more of a speed, you know, and kind of, I don't, I don't know if I, the word finesse really works, but they're not really going out of their way to kind of create a physical game, you know. In this series, man, you're going to have to, like, like smart to physical player. Al's doing all of that craft and, you know, and, you know, and it not just those guys, you know, the Celtics will mix it up. And if you're not willing to kind of get into that part of the game with them, it's going to be hard. 
Yeah. It's funny because, and again, it's not really, I'm not trying to pit the bench against the starters, uh, but you know, the, the bench is a, a more physical bunch. Like when you could put Jalen Johnson and Bay and Bogey and a Kongu out there, you know, you, you're more suited to, to bang a little bit than, than you are with the starting lineup. Yeah. Agreed. Like the Bay might be their like scrappiest player right now. Yeah. You know? I mean, he's, you he's, know, yeah. And he has to be, cause he, he doesn't move laterally very well. So he's got to, he's got to use that kind of part yeah. of his game too. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm still I'm still fascinated with like Hunter and Chase. He helped them fix the defense most in the second half. Um, and, but but their their best minutes, I think their best minutes in the game were still the Bogey Bay minutes, um, where they got a little bit of offensive juice going. You know, there and even that was even with Trey. It was Dejounte Bogey Bay. I think Jalen and Onyeka. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of got some stuff going in terms of you know, um, so. The, the plus minus was so useless in this game because the first half, like, tanked right. everyone's. You'd have to go half by half and kind of look there. But, you know, but I mean, and I said this in the middle of the game, I was like, if, if Quinn wants to swing the bogey bay minutes, they're going to have to switch. They're going to have to be great at switching. They're going to have to help rebound. They're going to all, they're going to have to, you know, four or five players helping rebound on defense. Um, and, and that sets you up to take advantage of the offensive use that you have there. So, you know, all of the, I got so tired today. I, I mean, I try to engage in conversation, even with people that have completely different ideas than I do about the Hawks, you know, and I did a lot of that today, but this whole thing, like, Oh, pace yourself. It's, it's could be a lot, you know, it might, might go longer than four games now. It might Don't yeah. you burn yourself but, out, but the whole, like, Oh, uh, you know, basically playing instead of Hunter. It's like, I, I feel like, like, do you not have the perspective that there are times they need what Hunter gives them, and there are times they need what Bay gives them, and those both of those things tend to happen in the same game, every game. You know, there are matchups where you need Hunter's uh, team defense and his health defense, and and he's still the best, you know, on-ball defender, even though he was atrocious in the first half in this game, in this series, first game one of this series. It's like we don't have to sit here and like I feel like people on Twitter are like, yeah, okay, I hate Hunter now and I love Bay. So I like, oh, Hunter only had a good second half because the Celtics were not trying. Like, okay, you have a position <laughs> and everything that you see is gonna come from your position. That's not I, I'm not I'm not gonna engage with that, you know. So I mean well, I'll, let I'll me have... ask you this question about Hunter then. Uh because you know, one of the things that it, they didn't even play Grant Williams. That's that's weird. But okay, so they played Hauser a lot. Played seven guys. Yeah, they played Hauser a lot. Hauser and, played three minutes. And Hauser, Hauser played three minutes. Who did? Hauser played three minutes. Was it? Okay, but he was guarding Hunter. So when when yeah. he's out there guarding Hunter, like what do you want to see in terms of okay? Here's here's how you can go attack Hauser in in those minutes. Is it? Uh, I, I think. I mean, go just go right at him. If you get him in space, attack him. If you get him down on the post, throw throw the Andre the ball and go right at him. You know, he's definitely the weak leak on defense. As I said, like on the in our preview, but like Hauser fits in their offensive template like perfectly. Passing, the moving the ball, the shooting, the decision making for sure. You know, a ton. But on defense, like that's they were up by a million points in this game and they still played seven guys, basically. And that says a lot, you know, about 
where they are with Grant, where they are with Hauser, you know, like, you know, and for me, it's like, okay, when I'm thinking about us, like, you know, all of the game ones, right. I'm like, you know, how do I feel about who I think the favorite is, et cetera, et cetera. The Celtics can't play seven guys, four series long, but you, you just, I mean, I, unless you like are four or five games every, you know, yeah. every time, you know, so it's going to be fat, but they had a long rest. So maybe, maybe they were just like, Hey, we had a long rest. So we're going to go really, really short in game one. So it, it's going to be fascinating to me to see if there's 11 minutes of Hauser and 10 minutes of Grant Williams in game two, you know, I think Grant Williams is really good. I don't know why he's not playing. There was, I don't know if there's something going on behind the scenes that's not known publicly, uh, you know, but um, it's just it's it's just weird. But yeah, when you get Hauser on there, you got to go at him. I thought Dejounte got past White a few times. And White is like awesome, um, but Dejounte just has kind of a little wiggle, you know, and had and and attacked early before White got set. Dejounte was excellent at when the Celtics would switch him, he would attack the switched on the defender that's switching onto him before that defender could really get into position. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Trey can do a little bit of that. Maybe that's something that, you know, um, you know, Hunter can, can maybe do. I know Hunter is so, so, you know, so methodical that may, I don't know. Um, But I mean, but that on offense, the main thing is, you know, we've got to get points in the paint. So we got to attack in, in the, in the two to three different ways to do that. But it's funny the Celtics came out dropping Al and not switching, but when they get into their switching, you've got to attack that switch before that defender switching onto you can really get positioned. Otherwise, and that's why I say the Celtics are the best switching defense in the league by a lot. You got to attack them on the switch. The Hawks weren't doing that. The Hawks DJ was the only one I saw doing that, and only in the second half in that game. If if Hunter should get in foul trouble again or, or some other circumstance and you need somebody to guard Tatum for extensive minutes, who who do you want it to be? Should should it be Jalen? Should it be somebody else? I would give Jalen a chance, you know. Jalen looked a little overwhelmed on the first half. Of course, of course, things were going terribly for his team by the time he ever got in the game. Right. So it's hard yep. to know. Yeah. But I I I I I trust him to take, you know three, four minutes of that and see how it goes. If it's anybody else, you got to switch everything. You know, no one else can handle that without the help that comes from switching to me. Yeah. So I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, apart, I mean, statistically speaking, we know the Hawks are really unlikely to win this series, right? We know that the Celtics are very good. Especially if you lose the first game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe you wait till the third game, but there are, it's okay to have some other objectives here. Like, okay, we're going to throw Jalen onto Jason Tatum, let him get some reps, you know, doing that. I'm good with that. Very good. Is there anything else you want to talk about tonight? I don't think so. Like, you know, I hope, I mean, TD garden, is that what it's called? Yeah. It um, was at one point at least they changed them. Yeah, so, Miami changed just them. changed theirs. I was like, somebody just changed theirs, but it wasn't Boston. It was Miami just it's, changed theirs. It's a tough place to play, and that alone could have had a big impact on the Hawks. It's like you know, it's just you know, uh, that's something you know. Um, but you know, I I'm I'm still hoping for this to get to like six games. You know, um, I'm not feeling as confident about my prediction after game one, but I mean, game game ones are weird sometimes, you know, and the Hawks. All I'm looking for, like honestly, win or lose, I want the Hawks to show up, fight, play hard, really try to execute their plan, and really compete. If they do all that and they lose, I don't really have an issue with it. 
You know, they didn't do that in the first half of the game. Not even close, you know. <laughs> um, JC may be the exception there, you know. Um, but well, having one guy doesn't doesn't really matter, you know. So that that's what I'm hoping for. I hope it's a nice competitive game, if it's a close game and and it's an interesting game and all that sort of stuff. So fingers crossed, fingers crossed around that. And I, you know, got a couple of days until we get there, but hopefully it's a fun game to watch. All right. Very good. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and we'll we'll see what happens and hopefully have a good conversation after game two. Look forward to it. Thanks, Kevin. Have a good night.